Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Sesame Street Fever from 1978. Black Sunday at Hither Green, South London. At least 53 people died when a London-bound train from Hastings jumped the rails, overturning 10 coaches. The Hither Green rail crash happened on November 5, 1967. 78 people were injured, 27 were detained in the hospital. Reports vary on how many people died, but it seems to be anywhere from 49 to 55, according to the Internet. And ironically, one of the survivors of the crash had his first number one hit in the UK that very same day. That's Massachusetts by the Bee Gees. Robin Gibb, who sings the lead on that song, was on the train when it derailed. In 2009, Robin Gibb recalled that day to the Mail on Sunday, saying, quote, I thought, at least there is one consolation. We have our first UK number one. End quote. The Bee Gees had formed in 1958, consisting of Robin Gibb, his fraternal twin brother Morris, and their older brother Barry. They released their debut album in 1965 and had a couple of minor hits over the next few years, but Massachusetts would be their first number one. Of many. But there were ups and downs along the way. Tension between the brothers even caused Robin to leave the group briefly in 1969, only to come back a year later. A year after that, they had their first number one in the U.S. with How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? But it would be another four years until they reached number one again. In 1975, their old friend Eric Clapton had recommended to them that they record in Miami at Criteria Studios. It would become a turning point in the career of the Bee Gees. And the inspiration came from a bridge, and not a musical bridge. Here's Barry Gibb in the Bee Gees' This Is Where I Came In full documentary. We were on our way back from the studio, and every time you leave Criteria, there's a bridge. And the, the bridge is rickety, and it makes a noise when you go over it. And every night, I'd hear the same thing. That and I'd hear it every night. And so one night... Uh, we went over there, and the car must have been traveling at a certain speed, and the rhythm felt really right. And I just started singing along with it. And it just became, you know... Jive Talkin' wasn't just their first number one in four years. It also went gold in the U.S. and Canada, and silver in the U.K. By the way, silver means 200,000 singles sold in the U.K. With their new sound... They only had to wait a year for another number one single. Where do you go when the record is over? John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever was released on December 16, 1977. It was massively successful. It made John Travolta a household name and also popularized disco music around the world. And a huge part of that success was its soundtrack. 
Written and performed primarily by the Bee Gees, it's the best-selling soundtrack of all time, selling over 45 million copies worldwide. In the U.S. alone, the album is 16 times platinum. From January to July of 1978, the album topped the charts for 24 straight weeks and remained on Billboard's album charts until March of 1980. In the U.K., the album spent 18 consecutive weeks at number one. And anytime something this huge takes over pop culture, it's ripe for parody. Saturday Night Fever would famously be parodied in the film Airplane. I was captivated, entranced. It hit me like a thunderbolt. I had to ask the guy next to me to pinch me to make sure I wasn't dreaming. And many years later on The Simpsons. Oh, disco stew. Right this way. Well, hey, St. Peter, you said like you was full. Oh, yeah. Ah, jeez. But one of its first parodies came in 1978 from a somewhat unexpected place. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street? In August of 1978, Sesame Street Fever was released on Children's Television Workshop Records. By this time, Sesame Street had already been on the air for nine seasons. While that alone is impressive... It sounds like nothing when you consider that the show is still on the air, currently in its 50th season, with over 4,500 episodes. The Educational Children's Series was known for its use of Jim Henson's Muppets. It also combined live-action and animation short films with sketch comedy and cultural references. Sesame Street was created by Joan Gans Cooney and Carnegie Foundation Vice President Lloyd Morissette in 1969. Their goal for the show was to master the addictive qualities of TV and do something good with them. And by the mid-1970s, the show had become an American institution. Parody wasn't new to Sesame Street. In its nine seasons on the air, so far it had parodied things like The Six Million Dollar Man, This Is Your Life, and Masterpiece Theater. Pip, pip, and good evening. Alistair Cookie here. Me delighted to welcome you Theater. But Sesame Street Fever would be the first time they would release a parody album, though it's not actually parody songs. The album's cover is a recreation of the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack album cover, but it has Grover where John Travolta was, and the Bee Gees picture has been replaced with Bert, Ernie, and Cookie Monster. But it's actually somewhat of a concept album, following the characters as a love of disco is taking over Sesame Street. The record starts off with the title track, performed by Cookie Monster, The Count, Ernie, and even Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees. For some reason, Grover is credited as appearing on the song, but I don't seem to hear him anywhere, yet Big Bird gets no credit and is prominently featured. All but one of the songs on the album were written by Joe Raposo. I've spoken about him on the show in the past on the Miss Piggy episode, so if you didn't hear that episode, you can learn even more about him there. This time, I'll let Jim Henson talk about Raposo. I think, you know, all of us are, are still children. All of us are still children at heart. And, 
even the most sophisticated people have a child still in them. And I think Joe is very much in touch with the child within himself and could express it and could, could see the world through that child and could write songs about it. So he still had that perspective, which a lot of people have. Uh, but I think Joe is in touch with it in a very, uh, a very warm, compassionate way, too. He's a very warm man, uh, very caring and very giving of, of himself. That's from 1990's Sing. Sesame Street remembers Joe Raposo and his music. Raposo would actually pass away in 1989, and in a very unfortunate coincidence, this tribute to him aired on May 16, 1990, which was the same day that Jim Henson passed away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The album only has six songs, and four of them are new disco versions of songs that had previously appeared on Sesame Street, and sometimes even on other Sesame Street albums, which is the case with Doin' the Pigeon, which had originally aired on the show in 1973. I love pigeons, and I love how they walk, and I've created a really cool dance called Doin' the Pigeon, Doin' the Pigeon. That's sung by Bert, who's performed by Frank Oz. For Sesame Street Fever, the song is credited to Bert and the Girls. The girls here are singers Maritha Stewart, Yolanda McCulloch, and Yvonne Lewis. Uh, Bernice, uh, all right, I, I understand you're trying to show me, but Bernice, tell you the truth, I'm not sure if I can really learn this. Let's just wing it. <laughs> By the way, that song is over six and a half minutes long. Just saying. Next up is one of Jim Henson's most beloved characters, Ernie, singing a disco version of his signature song, Rubber Ducky. It's the one song on the album that was written by Jeff Moss. On top of composing music for Sesame Street, Moss was also the show's first ever head writer. I've also talked about him on the show before on the Johnny Cash Children's Album episode, for which he wrote Nasty Dan. Nasty Dan was a nasty man. Moss had written Rubber Ducky for the first season of Sesame Street. Surprisingly, that original version became a top 20 hit in 1970, peaking at number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100. This disco version was also released as a single in 1979 with Doin' the Pigeon as its B-side, but both failed to chart. Rubber Ducky, you're so fine, and I'm lucky that you're mine. Rubber Ducky, I'm awfully fond of you. Rubber Ducky, I'm awfully Side 2 kicks off with a song called Trash, which you would assume would be performed by Oscar the Grouch. But no, Robin Gibb is back to sing this one. 
Oscar somehow is nowhere to be found on a song called Trash. All right. Sometimes it's lying on a beach or down an alley out of reach. Just trash. I love it. What other people throw away I try to save for a rainy day Just trash, I love it You see, I wasn't born with much Set the sun and moon and such So I handle it all carefully Frank Oz is back to perform, this time as Cookie Monster. In this clip from CBC in 1976... Frank Oz appears as himself as well as performing Cookie Monster. I will be uh, uh, quiet like this. And then uh, you talk like that, and you go crazy. <laughs> See, you were, you were concerned about the illusion, just, uh, you know, and I know not only you, but other people are concerned at times about the illusion. I, that was a very natural thing I just did. It never sure, to me sure. This, you, that, now, you, when you're talking to me, you're not looking at this man. Right? 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 Huh? One adapts very quickly. We're all basically children when we do it. You see? Right? Right. Right? Excuse me. Cook. Excuse me for a moment. Cook. Yeah. I want to talk to Frank. Okay, you go, th- you go take a little nap, okay? Okay. Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs> Have you, you've been, you're part of the whole Muppet movement, which has been very important to Sesame Street and other things. So. Yeah, we've been doing... I find, I find it difficult talking to myself, only if Cookie's here. Can I put him down or can we talk some more about him? Put him down. Put, put him, him down. down? Okay, you go now. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For Sesame Street Fever, they do a new disco version of his signature song that first appeared in season three, C is for Cookie. The album is packed with session players who are all credited on the back cover. A few of note, credited for all reed instruments, is Lou Marini, who had worked with Frank Zappa and Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He was also a member of the Saturday Night Live house band for the show's first eight seasons, as well as a member of the Blues Brothers band, where Dan Aykroyd gave him the nickname Blue Lou. There's also percussionist Jimmy Malin on congas. The same year as Sesame Street Fever, Malin also played seven tracks of percussion on Barry Manilow's top ten hit, Copacabana. Closing out the album is the song Has Anybody Seen My Dog? It's a song that originally appeared in season two of Sesame Street. Frank Oz is once again back to perform, this time as Grover, along with Marty, a Muppet that only appeared in the earlier seasons of Sesame Street, and he was performed by Jerry Nelson. In the song, Grover tries to help Marty find his dog, but instead keeps bringing him other animals. Of course, here, they're looking for the dog in the disco. Sesame Street Fever peaked at number 75 on Billboard's top LPs and tapes chart, and it even went gold. It was also nominated for a Grammy for Best Recording for Children, but it didn't win. Who did it lose to? 
an album from the first season of The Muppet Show. It's time to meet the Muppets on The Muppet Show tonight. One year later, a sequel album called Sesame Disco was released, which would also be nominated for a Grammy. And that one lost to the soundtrack to The Muppet Movie. Good grief! Saturday Night Fever also had a sequel, 1983's Stayin' Alive, also starring John Travolta. A few years before any of this disco craze began, while John Travolta was one of the stars of TV's Welcome Back, Cotter, he released some albums of his own. But that is for another time. But before I wrap up today, I just want to say a huge thank you to listener Kimberly Marlett, who actually donated her copy of this album and sent it to me to cover on the show. So thank you, Kimberly. If you have a record or anything else you want to send to me in the show, you can do so by sending it to Tony Thaxton, P.O. Box 9811, Glendale, California, 91206. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. <laughs>